fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're gonna ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're gonna ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the Thirty Something Movie Podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. All right, it is the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, This time around, though, special episode, we are not, well, not necessarily talking about a movie this time. I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, But we're (laughs) going to be talking about something that we talked about the movie last year when it was 1991 for us. Um, But... There was an opportunity for me to talk more about The Rocketeer, and so I was like, why not? Uh, So when 92 came up, I'm like, no, you know what? 91 was the movie. 92, actually the 40th anniversary of The Rocketeer getting introduced to the world in the first place. So I thought, why not? Uh, let's, Let's talk Rocketeer. And let's talk Rocketeer with some folks that know a little bit about the Rocketeer and, and some of the history of the Rocketeer. Uh, so I am super, super excited to have with me tonight um, Steve Bryant. Thank you so much for being here with me. Um, this has been kind of a long time coming. No, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Um, well, yeah, as, as as you well know from our, our discussions like at C2E2, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, so tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Now, you you and I have we've we've met several times at C two E two in Chicago, uh, at the show. We also have a connection through your other job, uh, through yeah. uh, through Illinois State University, because I have uh, uh, some relatives that go there, uh, and I think are taking one of your classes right now. Yeah, yeah. So um, probably uh, the work I'm most known for, which is weird to say because. Um, as an independent comic creator, I don't know that anyone is actually known for much of what they do. But um, uh, what I'm most known for is uh, a comic called Athena Voltaire. Uh, it's the adventures of a globe-trotting aviatrix in, in the 1930s, and obviously, um, obviously influenced by by movies like Indiana Jones, but also by uh, movies like The Thin Man. Because uh, I love the banter of, of like 1930s screwball comedies and stuff like that, um, but I think we missed the boat. Unless you're going to do like the 90 something podcast, then we can talk about the Thin Man. Yeah. But um, uh, and very influenced by uh, Dave Stevens' Rocketeer, both the uh, the comic and the movie. Um, so that's probably my uh, my signature piece, as it were. Um, and then. Uh, I also teach um, digital painting and comics and sequential art and character design and illustration at uh, Illinois State University. Yeah, awesome. So that's me. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think when you and I were talking at, at C2E2, I was like, I, I had just had the idea of, hey, before the year is out, I definitely want to do something on, you know, the Rocketeer from the comics, not just the movie, you know, since it's the 40th anniversary. And, and I, I, I was like, okay, I know Steve loves the Rocketeer. And because I've, I've talked to you every year, you know, <laughs> I've come to C2E2 and we, we tend to talk Rocketeer for a little bit every year. And, um, I was like, okay, I got to ask him if he would just be willing to like, I don't know, just like send me a couple of sound bites or something like that. And I was so excited when you, like your face lit up and you're just like, I mean, do you have three or four hours? It's like, yeah, I got three or four. Hours. <laughs> Let's go. I, I still contend it's, it, it's my favorite comic book movie. Um, it's, it just maintains the, the spirit of, of, uh, Dave's book, um, and the visuals are, are still stunning. And yeah, it's um, well to to move over to the movie just for for a second. It was it. I don't know that I've really had this feeling in any other movie. Um, maybe the maybe the first Sam Raimi Spider Man, but where I sat in the audience and I had this this moment of. Uh, not quite terror, but dread where I'm like, Oh, please let it be good. I was so <laughs> yeah. worried. It wouldn't, you know, that it, that it wouldn't be good. And, um, you know, just from, from, you know, the word go, everything is just so perfect. Um, so yeah, I would, it, it, it was my favorite at the time. And, and, uh, it can, it just continues undaunted at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was super exciting for me to have somebody else. I knew I could talk to about this stuff. Cause uh, I, and I know the other guys that are usually my co host on this show are going to be listening to this. Um, but I, and I love them all, but they don't have the depth of, of uh, rocketeer knowledge that I know that, that you do. So, um, and, and the fact that, you know, as, as you and I talked several times and it was, it was clear to me, and, and that's one of the reasons why I, I stopped by your booth the very first time several years ago was I immediately, I mean, I saw the big Athena Voltaire, uh, you know, backdrop that you had and, and, uh, saw the books that you had there and, and immediately what clicked in my head was, man, that looks a lot like Dave Stevens. And, <laughs> and so, and I was like, and that's kind of like, that, that was a little bit of, uh, my my main jam at the time too was I was like I was getting tired of some of the superhero comics like I'm I've always been a a huge uh, I'm more of a DC fan I've always been a, a a fan of the X Men I've always been a fan of uh, Spider Man I've always been my my number one is Superman uh, you know I, if I look over in the corner over here to my boxes and boxes of comics. I would hazard a guess and say that 70% of them are probably Superman or Superman adjacent books. Um, but I was starting to get a little tired of superhero comics. And so I was like, well, I, I also pick up the Rocketeer and, and I want to pick up more stuff that's, you know, maybe a little less superhero, superhero and maybe a little bit more, maybe a little more pulpy. Um, you know, maybe I need to find another time period that I really enjoy. And as I started kind of, you know, digging into it, I was like, well, I love Indiana Jones. I uh, love the Rocketeer. Uh, really loved, like one of my favorite Marvel movies is the first, uh, the first Captain America, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger movie. Um, 
I, I really enjoy, I feel like I'm one of the few people that I know that enjoyed the um, uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow movie. I love that movie. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well, I, I think I know what my uh, what my genre is. I think I think I know my time period <laughs> that I really, you know, tend to enjoy uh, the characters and the, you know, just the the decor and the clothing and the you know just the whole the um, uh, what what's the word I'm thinking of the uh, the vernacular. Um, yeah, you know, lousy nickel nursers. Like I, I feel like I've tried to reintroduce that into into uh, <laughs> modern English, and it's it's not taking. But I'm doing the best that I can. Um, you know, people at work look at me a little weird whenever I say stuff like that. But, uh, so that was kind of where I started to switch over a little bit. And I'm like, I, I want to find something that's a little less, uh, a little less tights and capes, a little bit more, a uh, little bit more adventure. Well, I'm glad you, you know, found, found my, my little book. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's no coincidence, um, something something that uh, I'm going to cover when I when I teach character design next semester is not just the silhouette but the the way a character reads in terms of placing light and dark on the figure and if you stand Athena Voltaire next to uh, Cliff's rocketeer outfit especially if you take the helmet off yeah. you know you've got dark hair dark coat light pants dark boots and you know it 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 reads very similarly so i that that's not a coincidence it it was um i still feel like the rocketeer costume is it's just all an, an all-timer that with that uh that i don't know what it's called but the the center flap mm-hmm. with you know the big brass buttons yeah. and just everything about the way that the character was designed is just it's masterful, you know the the Art Deco swoop of the fin on the helmet, yeah. and the um, again, I'm not sure what the terms are, but I I always refer to it as the veining mm-hmm. on on the helmet, the little the little arcs, the like it's like trim, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the way everything works on that is, you know, look at the way those eyes are placed and the shape of them, uh, and the way that it reads, no matter what angle you're at, or or the uh, the way that that he's got the kind of the mouth hole, um, which is a really horrible word when you say it out loud, <laughs> but um, just the the way that all of those elements go together, it's it's just a brilliant costume. Um, so anyway, that's that that that's my love letter to Dave Stevens, part one. We're going to get through like sixty parts of these tonight, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you, you talk about the costume. The funny thing the other day was I actually went, I've, I've had the same winter coat, uh, you know, living here in Illinois. I've had the same winter coat that's been, that's, that's done me right for the last probably seven or eight years now. And uh, I saw one the other day, wanted to go pick it up, went to go pick it up. And then I went to work the other day and uh, I think I was wearing brown shoes, like dark brown shoes, light khaki pants. And my new coat is kind of the, the like brown leather, you know, looks like the Rocketeer without the big uh, giant buttons in the front. And uh, I come home. It's the first time my wife has seen it. I come home and she goes, yeah, I know why you bought that. <laughs> and I looked down, I was like, oh, I, I wasn't even like, honestly, <laughs> I, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good look. It's. You know, I think for Halloween, I might just wear that and then throw the Rocketeer helmet on it. We'll, just be, we'll be good to go. I don't have to do anything fancy with it. 
so yeah, so I want to get into a little bit of you know some of the history of you know the the Rocketeer and um, you know I, most of my experience with Dave Stevens is definitely the Rocketeer. Um, you know, in terms of some of his other artwork. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily as familiar with some of his other work that he did. Uh, obviously, as a kid, you know, I, I wouldn't have known it, but growing up and, and then finding out that he did some of the inking of the Tarzan and uh, Star Wars uh, newspaper strip comics, um, that was cool. So I was like, oh, no, I, I probably have seen his work, you know, even before uh, I got hooked by the, the Rocketeer and, and everything else when I was a little bit older. But um yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, being an, an influence of yours, being a big influence of yours, I'm sure you've got uh, some other insights on some of his other work, um, you know, apart from the Rocketeer. I know one of the other things that, that he's also fairly famous for is, is some of his pinup work and especially, you know, the Betty Page stuff. And, and uh, I know that, um, what was, I, I heard someone in an interview say something about him and, and they, the, in the way they said it was uh, Dave Stevens... Dave Stevens loved to look at the ladies, but like not in a creepy way. Yeah. Like yeah. That he was, he was really good at his drawing, his drawings of women, you know, could be, I don't know if you want to use the words, you know, seductive or something like that, but not, you know, it wasn't in a, it wasn't in any kind of like a questionable way. Like, Ugh, that's, that's a little, uh, that's a little skeevy. <laughs> well, yeah. Like every, everything about his work, um, with with his pinup stuff, um, it maintains this this playful. Um, I can't really really put it into 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 words, but yeah, it it doesn't really seem salacious yeah. in the way that um, you know I, I've seen other modern you know quote unquote good girl artists, yeah, and they're they're. I, I think sometimes it's also the humor that they that they kind of put into it. Um, I I don't want to say the artist's name, but I do remember seeing a uh, like a sketch cover somebody did of uh, like Power Girl, mm. and the caption is something to the effect of "Grab the tissues, fanboy," and it's just so creepy. Yeah. For you know, um, but. Steven's stuff never had that. It, his, his stuff always felt like it was um, like like his women characters were in on it and winking yeah. and not being gross. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know how he, he does that because I've looked at the work a lot of the time and there's, again, when you're talking about pinup stuff, it's weird to use a word like innocence yeah. in that context but there there maybe sweetness is a better word i don't know yeah. but i i can't put my finger on why it works um and you know like from an art nerd perspective mm-hmm. um he has this wonderful ability to create like this this thick holding line that's very slick brushy line around the contours of his figures but then for fabric or like defining a muscle contour or something like that he'll do the this kind of gestural cross contour really loose brush line that just defines it and there's something about the way he 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 picks those shots 
where the figures all just have this fluidity to them that's it it's just a weird precision and i i realize i'm probably going really deep inside baseball on that but it's there's just a really beautiful quality to to how he draws um and it's not just obviously the pinup women are 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 an example but everything about what he does feels rooted in classic hollywood you know you've got the beautiful women you've got the handsome men and then you also have a bunch of these these uh, character actors that he'll he'll pepper throughout it. Um, uh, he used uh, most famously Doug Wildey, um, the uh, creator of Johnny Quest and one of Dave's mentors, as uh, the the photo reference for for Peavy, um, and he really brought out that that whole you know nineteen thirties movie serial character actor type of quality to him you know you could have slapped a a prospector hat on him and you thrown him in a western and central casting would have been delighted so yeah dave just really had this this eye for characters that all felt iconic sorry i i i went i think on a rabbit hole sorry no 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 that's in in fact our our show is very good at going into rabbit holes like we we Good. we just we chase something until we're until we've just about exhausted it. Um, so so yeah, so Rockets here. So as I mentioned kind of earlier, one of the reasons why I, I felt like this was a good time to do it is because this year, before we get out of 2022, uh, which which we're almost at an end here, um, it is the 40th anniversary of the Rocketeer showing up in 1982 as a backup feature in I believe the second and third issues of Mike Grell's Star Slayer series from Pacific Comics. Um, I have, I, I don't have, I've been trying to like track down those issues. I have a couple of some of the earlier issues of the Rocketeer, but not necessarily those in particular. Um, but I mean, those are, I didn't, my first connection to the Rocketeer and to Dave Stevens is the movie. You know, I saw the movie first, um, you know, I, cause I was, I was probably, what was I, 11 when the movie came out. So I saw the movie first, had not seen the comics yet, but then quickly found out that this was based on comics. And so then when I was a little bit older in middle school, um, that's when I was able to track down some of the Dave Stevens comics and was able to kind of check those out for the first time and, and love them. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. Um, and I think part of it too, was the, the rarity of, there weren't that many stories, you know, like I could go watch a Superman movie and then I've got like 80 years of Superman comics to, to be able to go read. Um, you know, I, I didn't have that much. So it was kind of a, you know, it was, it was almost like back in the day when we just thought there were ever going to be three Star Wars movies and there was never going to be anything else after that. Um, the, the rarity of, well, this is all I've got. And maybe they'll write some books that'll be part of an expanded universe that I can imagine what else is going to happen. Um, but that was kind of my first run in with Dave Stevens in the comics. Um, I know that you've, you've said already that he's a big influence of yours. Do you remember what was the first time you, you caught wind or, or, or caught sight of uh, a piece of Dave Stevens work? Like what, what was it that got you the first time? Um, actually a friend of mine had, um, I want to say in like 85 or 86 eclipse comics um, who had picked up uh, the Rocketeer when Pacific Comics went under. Um, 
had issued what they referred to as a, a graphic album of of it. You know, now we would call it a trade uh, a trade paperback, but it was an eight and a half by eleven. Uh, and I don't know if I think the work was not recolored for that, but I, I remember reading that like Dave and uh, painter Joe Chiodo and a couple of other people um, were were coloring the uh, the original series on uh, photostats of the artwork, uh, you know, kind of a glossy uh, photomechanical transfer uh, that they would use like um, uh, dyes on essentially. But Eclipse collected it on nice paper, I think for the first time, because I, I think those original uh, Star Slayer and Pacific Presents books are on are, are on newsprint. And a friend of mine showed me that, <laughs> that first graphic album. And it was right at the time that I was also uh, starting to phase out from Marvel and DC books a bit. Um, and I discovered indie books. And at the time I discovered Airboy. Um, so Airboy was my first independent comic. And of course, Dave famously did the cover for, I think, number five with the return of Valkyrie. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just this this confluence of, of events of my friend showing me this uh, Eclipse graphic album and I had collected Airboy back issues and I had, I had already seen his work on that. And it, it was it was kind of that that. Uh, that you know light bulb moment um and uh uh i think later that year um i'm i may be losing my timeline again maybe it was 87 that kamiko launched uh the rocketeer adventure magazine and i got those right off the bat the first two issues and then kamiko went on uh went under and um there was this whole, uh, you know, the, the the comic industry buzz or or whatever, you know, the the fan magazines. Uh, we're talking about how Dave Stevens is the laziest man in comics. He's so slow, and you know, the truth is, he was doing storyboards and uh, commercial art and advertising art that paid more than comics. But also, Kamiko had claimed the Rocketeer as one of their assets, something they owned. So he just you know, put the, the completed pages of the Rocketeer Adventure magazine number three in a drawer and waited until the, the lawsuit ended. And then Dark Horse did this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful version of, of that third issue. Um, and I, I remember that one specifically just blowing me away because the coloring had really improved. Uh, and I think it's more about the technology um, you know, more stuff was available. I don't think they were they were coloring it on photostats at that time. I think they were printing it out onto uh, Bristol board or watercolor paper, and Dave was airbrushing and then putting a uh, a black line on top of it. But holy cow, that third issue still to me is like in my top five of most beautiful comic I've ever seen. Yeah. My copy is beat to crap because <laughs> it lived on my drawing board. Yeah. Um, but then Dark Horse collected uh, that second miniseries as Cliff's New York Adventure. And it's really funny because uh, 
it was probably six months to a year before IDW announced the uh, uh, the remastered Ultimate Collection that they did. Yeah. But a friend of mine was really into doing uh, sending books out for for library binding for his books, um, and I know being audio, this won't come through, but I'll show this to you on yeah. here on Zoom. I oh. did a library bound copy of it um, with the original uh, graphic novel collection. Um, where's it at? I don't know if you can see. Oh yeah. Uh, Happy landing, Steve. Uh, Dave signed it, yeah. and it's got a like an an introduction by uh, Harlan Ellison, and yeah, I I put these two trade paperbacks in, and then because I'm a I'm a colossal nerd, mm -hmm. I also photocopied. I had his uh, uh, selected sketches and studies, oh, nice. um, sketchbooks that he sold, yeah. um, and so I photocopied all of those and photocopied. Uh, like a big comics journal interview with him. And I got that bound into this really cool hardcover and it cost me like 50 or 60 bucks. And I, it, I was so proud of this book. And then within a year, IDW just released the, the gorgeous remastered one with the, the Laura Martin colors. Um, and yeah, I mean, boy, shortly before his passing, you know, there there was just this wealth of Dave Stevens material coming out because you also had the Brush with Passion book come out. Um, and then uh, IDW started re-releasing not just his, uh, his Rocketeer stuff, but they did a collection with all the covers he had done and they did a collection with all the sketchbooks and uh, so much beautiful work. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love I love your library bound one. I mean, it looks like it looks like something that would be on uh, Indiana Jones uh, li <laughs> library shelf. It's you know just the color of it and the old you know making it look like an old library book. I think that's just that's perfect for the the time period and the. <laughs> I I wish I could buy more comics because yeah I'm I, I well again I know it's not visual but I've got a, a crap ton of books behind me. But um, yeah, that, that was my first exposure to him. <laughs> well, that was a long story. Um, was the uh, that first Eclipse graphic album, yeah. um, and just looking at that, it again the artwork just looked like it was not of this earth. Um, just so perfectly done. And the weird thing is, there's such an appreciable jump between that first miniseries and the second one, but the first one had blown me away. But by the, by the time the second one came out, I mean, you talk about someone who, who was really working on perfecting their craft. Yeah. Um, the guy was just a monster talent, just so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I, you know, I've, I've got, uh, we're we're just going to go to my Dave Stevens addiction here. I think when IDW uh, announced their their artist editions, I didn't realize it was going to be a whole series. But I bought two copies of the Dave Stevens one, mm. one for my bookshelf, and one that literally lived on my drafting table for about three years uh, because I knew that it would get beaten up, and I wanted a, a nice copy of it. So, yeah, I mean, looking at that that guy's work in this beautiful um I, I should elaborate because I, I realize I'm talking comic stuff 
on a, on a movie podcast. Um, uh, we, we do that. IDW, well, IDW publishing um, releases these volumes called artist editions, which are the, these really meticulously scanned and color corrected um, uh, books that collect the original art at the size it was drawn, not the publication size. So most of these books are 11 by 17 up to about uh, 18 by 24, depending on how large the artist was doing it. And, um, you know, you you see the pencil lines underneath, you see the, uh, the whiteout when, when they're correcting a line and stuff like that. And... <laughs> For the time that that book lived on my on my drafting table, it was literally in my mind the Rosetta Stone of how to draw comics. You know, it it just it solved so many so many things that I'd struggled struggled with just looking at line weights and stuff like you know how did they do this? Um, so yeah, again, just I first discovered his work in 85 or 86, but it's still, um, you know, nearly 40 years later, I can, I can still, you know, rave about what, why it works and why it's so good and go off in these, these annoying tangents that people are going to fast forward past. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Well, and I love the, I love the story of how the rocketeer kind of came to be in the first place that they kind of, uh, I think it was what well, was it was Mike Grell's comic, and and I feel like they approached Dave, and they were like a couple pages short. They needed like four or five pages of something. And the story that I remember hearing was they approached him, and they're like, "Hey, we're about you know four or five pages short. Can you do a couple of installments for us? You know, of these four or five page deals?" And then he's like, "Well." You know, like anything, <laughs> like what, what, what do you, yeah, right, go for right. it, what, whatever you want to do. And then of course he goes back to it and he's like, well, I, I love, I love the idea of the, you know, the, the uh, commando Cody stuff and love the idea of a guy flying through the air, but not super powered. You know, he's got a rocket strapped to his back and, and, you know, just the, the whole idea of, um, you know, those, those old sci-fi serials with, you know, uh, alien spaceships and, and, and the rocket packs and the, and the ray guns and all that other stuff. And, and um, you know, and then just, he had the opportunity, you know, do what you want to do. You got a few pages, do what you want to do. And then that's how it was born. And I, I love stories like that, where like somebody just gets, they get, a, they get their foot in the door and then it just explodes and it becomes as popular as, you know, and I, I say as popular as it's become, I still think that the Rocketeer is not as well known as as I'm sure you and I think it should be. Oh yeah, um, but I do always I do always appreciate. In fact, the when I came to C2E2 one of the one of the first times and had kind of put together my Rocketeer costume that I wore, it was because I was like, well, you know, I don't really cosplay, but you know, it'd be kind of fun <laughs> to do something. I don't want to do, you know, I've, I'm not going to dress up as the Joker because everybody does that. I'm not going to dress up as this because everybody does that. Um, you know, nobody wants to see, a, 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 you know, the, the 18th Deadpool today. Um, what can I do that I've never seen before? And at that point in time, I'd never seen anybody do a Rocketeer costume. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do the Rocketeer. I'm going to, I'm going to take, you know, a, a, a year or so, like get all the stuff together, get the boots, get the helmet, get the whatever. And the most fun I had was 
the first year that I wore all that stuff, it ended up being I saw somebody else wear the Rocketeer costume that year, too. I'm like, oh, man, I, I thought I had something original here. Um, but I, I came in wearing the Rocketeer costume, and I had several people. Like, some people were like, is that supposed to be like a Mandalorian thing? And I was like, no, oh. like, no, it's, it's not, it's, and then, but then I got to tell them all about it and like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I said, yeah, there's this, there's this great movie. You know, there's these comics, this great movie from the nineties. Uh, you should go check it out. But then there were enough people that were like rocketeer. That's awesome. And enough people know what it is. And I think that the most fun I've had in particular at, at C2E2 is, and I have just just around the corner on the on the very little wall space that I've got down here in the basement to, to put stuff up is I've gotten uh, when I've gone to C2E2 and my my biggest mistake so far is I haven't gotten one from you yet um, is I go and I, I have stopped buying prints because I've run out of wall space, but I've been trying to get sketches done uh, and I've intentionally picked the Rocketeer as the thing I want to get sketches of because the first year I, I started doing that. I asked a couple of different artists. That I, I said, you, you got any commissions left? They're like, oh, yeah, I got commissions left. Awesome. Could you do the Rocketeer? And to a single person, their faces lit up, and they're like, I've never done the Rocketeer before. I would love to do the Rocketeer. In fact, a couple of them were like, I, I was like, I'm sure you've got a full slate of stuff. Like, I'm going to be here all weekend. I'll come pick it up Sunday afternoon. And I had one guy, he's like, no, man, I'm bumping you to the front of the queue. Like, I, <laughs> like I've never done the Rocketeer. I love the Rocketeer. I'm doing it for you right now. If you come back in like 45 minutes, it'll be done. I'm like, no, 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 seriously. Other people got here before me. Do, do theirs first. No, man, I'm doing that right now. And I'm like, but people get so excited. And that's, you know, to your point of like the, the beauty of the art the, there's almost something, I hate to use the word intangible, but there is almost something a little intangible about it of, you know, it's as he, as, as Dave Stevens perfected his art over the years, um, it just, it seems like it became more and more uh, precise and, and, and even more beautiful uh, than it had been. And I don't know, there's something, we were talking a little bit earlier about the design of the costume, the helmet, the, you know, the characters, like you said, there is something about when you mention, especially to, to a bunch of artists, when you mention the Rocketeer, people just light up. They're like, oh, that's, I would love to do that. Well, yeah, and I, I, I have to point out, um, I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, I've never drawn the Rocketeer. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, not counting my own characters, uh, I've done more commissions of the Rocketeer than any other character. Oh, I imagine, yeah. And I, I, I think people, when, again, again, I don't have the biggest audience, so that's probably part of it, but everybody that is in my audience knows, I think, how... I don't want to say reverent, but maybe that's the best word. I, I want to do it justice. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a big deal for me every time somebody asks me to do it, because I feel like I get to temporarily be a, a caretaker for this great character from this, this masterful artist that uh, uh, was taken from us too soon. I, I should point out, I think uh, Dave died at age 52. Yeah. Um, and oh, gosh, has it been, it was, I think it was 2008. Is that when he passed? I was going to say about 15 years. So yeah, yeah 14 yeah. years ago. Um, and I mean, just an amazing talent. And this is probably a really good time for me to mention this. Um, uh, 
Are you familiar with the documentary, uh, Dave Stevens, Drawn to Perfection? I, I was not until about four or five days ago. And then I saw that it, okay. was, I saw it was coming out December 2nd. And I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing <laughs> on December yeah, 2nd. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be uh, available as pay-per-view. But currently, there's also a Kickstarter being run by his, his sister, uh, Jennifer Stevens. I'm going to mispronounce her name. It starts with a B, and I, I'll just balk. Bacom? Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. If by some weird happenstance she hears this, I apologize. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they're doing a, a, a Kickstarter for a Blu-ray uh, and it funded in the first day. Oh, um, yeah. And I, and I was one of those people. I, I saw that, you know, I, I've got the, uh, a documentary on uh, artist uh, Steve Rude. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, Rude and Stevens uh, were kind of the the first comic artists where I started to actually try, actually try to analyze what they were doing instead of just drawing my favorite character or stealing John Byrne or George Perez poses when I, when I was in middle school. So, yeah, I I highly recommend. When when will this podcast drop? Um, you know, this one will probably be. This will probably drop maybe just a few days after that documentary is out um, digitally. Okay. Um, if if it makes it before, I believe December 5th is when the Kickstarter ends. Okay. If you can include a link because, um, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go sign up for that Blu-ray myself. I just saw the Kickstarter yesterday, and I was like, oh, a blue? are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> sign, sign me up. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'll actually, I'll tweet out, I'll, I'll send on our different uh, social medias, um, you know, links to that so folks can check it out. Cause yeah, I, I saw, you know, some of the other stuff they were including as part of the Kickstarter uh, benefits yeah. packages and things like that. I'm like, Oh man, I, I'm going to, I'm going to buy myself a Christmas gift here. <laughs> you should. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, what is, um, I'm, I'm going to get into like, making you pick some favorites here. Um, okay. What is, let's, let's veer away from the Rocketeer for just a second. Is there a piece of work, like one single piece of work of Dave Stevens, other than it, unrelated to the Rocketeer, that is your favorite of his? Like, is there one particular sketch? Is there one particular, um, you know, story that you've seen of his that's not a Rocketeer story? Is there one in particular you could single out? Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm, I'm mentally cataloging every, everything. Um, hold that thought one second. Yeah. Okay, we're going to break out some of the books. Oh, go um, for it. Just so I, I have a, a visual aid uh, for, for some of this. Um, boy. Hang on. Sorry, I know this does not make good audio. Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> Although it'd be humorous to have the visual of just... I, I will never say embarrassing number of Dave <laughs> Stevens pieces yeah. or books that I've got, but um, 
I'm trying to think of what all I've swiped. Uh, um, actually, one of my favorites is probably the the piece that I mentioned before, the uh, Airboy cover that he did oh, with yeah. Valkyrie, oh, mm -hmm. just because it was such an iconic pose, and um, like looking at how he how he usually draws women, he draws women. Um, I don't want to. I, I'll, I'll use the word realistically, even though uh, I know that's a, a subjective term when you're talking about figurative work like art, because we're not covered with outlines and rendering marks on our faces. But he usually works in a lot more of a of a, of a realistic or literal sense with his work. Yeah. But the shot he did of uh, Valkyrie, um, like his his drawing of Airboy on that cover is is a, St uh, a Stevens dude, but. The way he drew Valkyrie, especially in the face. Um, so Airboy was created by uh, a Golden Age comics artist uh, in the 40s, I think, uh, named Fred Kida, K-I-D-A. It might have been Kida, but I think it's Kida. Okay. And Dave drew her very much like a Fred Kida character. Mm. Um, you know, she also has very much the... Uh, 1930s 1940s eyebrows and and just that that kind of almost doll-like face that was fashionable uh during that period but it's such a cool piece so that that would be one of them yeah. let me keep looking uh to jog my memory um we're recording two days before thanksgiving and because i had today off of course that meant i was cleaning i, I was working on cleaning <laughs> the house for company yeah so uh yeah okay now that now that you mention it i think i think this is the best thing that i can that i can point out and i hope the book is still available um so it's the complete sketches and studies and what i love about this book is so much it, it it's largely black and white work or or sepia toned work so you see advertising work in here um famously uh, like he did a a Michael Jordan Wheaties uh, box cover, <laughs> and um, in another life, I, I was a musician playing in bands, mm -hmm. and he used to do uh, advertising art for uh, Roland was was a synthesizer company, but they did guitar pedals, and uh, he did this piece that's uh, uh, like for a sampling pedal oh, nice. so it's you know this jungle explorer with a microphone recording all the the stuff around it and i tore that out of guitar player magazine the first time i, I took stuff to have him sign uh and i had him sign that first eclipse uh collection and this torn out guitar player ad of, of this uh guitar pedal and he started laughing and he said that was a heavily art directed job <laughs> but um yeah like what i what i love about this book is it's all this art in black and white. You know, he did greeting card stuff. Um, you see some of the storyboards from from Raiders in this. Mm -hmm. And it's, if you want to get a really cool Dave Stevens book after you get The Rocketeer, I would recommend um, Complete Sketches and Studies because it does give, you know, there there's not really a story in there. And most of most of his work was pinups and, and covers. Um, but I, I would recommend that book just because you could just see the massive talent that he was. 
Um, but I know um, he wanted to get, not really get away from the Rocketeer, but he wanted to, to spread out. And he had talked about, um, he had a, another character named Mimi Rodin, um, where, I can't find the Mimi Rodin pictures, but um, yeah, you know, that was another character he wanted to do. That was a contemporary thing. And uh, I think the biggest miss that I can think of, the biggest, oh, I wish I would have seen that. Um, he pitched a story to DC. Have you heard this? If it's the Superman one, I, I've heard a little bit. So yeah, he pitched um, Rocketeer Superman. Yes. As a crossover, he would write it, but not draw it. I think he would do covers. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is comic book lore. So I know he, he's mentioned it in interviews. So, yeah, he uh, he pitched Superman Rocketeer. And it would take place on uh, in. Uh, what was the 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 year of the uh, Orson Welles uh, War of the Worlds? broadcast was it 30, uh, 39 i think 39 okay so it would take place in 39 and um yeah the i believe the martian invasion was a cover for a nazi invasion in new jersey and it was going to be superman and the rocketeer and at the time that he pitched it dc was phasing out elseworlds and they said yeah. this doesn't fit in our continuity yeah and I just feel like what a waste to be so tied to current continuity that you can't see. This is an evergreen book. This would have been gorgeous. Well, and that uh, was that was something I always remember hearing bits and pieces of that story. And one of the one of the maybe like two years ago at C two E two, I had there was one artist, and I was like, hey, I, I want to get a want to get a sketch from you, and. Um, you know, he, he had a, a price up for doing a couple of characters. And I was like, I was like, oh, you know, I would love my two favorite characters, Superman and Rocketeer. And he kind of looks at me at first. He goes like, well, those two don't go together. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. If you have <laughs> if you have like a couple of hours, I can explain to you how they go together perfectly. And he's like, oh, OK, no, I'll, I'll do a sketch for you. So he did. And it, it was a great sketch. Um, but it kind of reminded me of of that story. I'd always heard that there was the the potential for a Rocketeer Superman story, a crossover. And I don't know if you picked up, um, what was the most recent story IDW did? Was it the Rocketeer, the Great Race, I think was the most recent one? Yeah, the the Stephen Mooney one. I, yeah. I, I didn't pick it up yet, and I will admit, it hurts. I just, you know, it, it's one thing to see big, big name people mm -hmm. doing it, um, you know, like Darwin Cook drawing yeah. Yeah. You know, the Rocketeer, but seeing someone who kind of came up around the t same time as me, I, I have to admit I was green with envy. Yeah. So I, I didn't check it out. Okay. I want to, but um, that's one where I just feel like I wish I knew the right people to pitch to. Yeah. Well, if, if you end up, if you end up picking up the copies, I, I don't know, they haven't collected it yet. I think it just finished maybe a couple months ago. Um, if you end up picking up the copies, that's where I saw the story again about the Rocketeer Superman crossover was in the back of each of the issues. They had these, I want to say it was like seven or eight pages of, you know, I think it was because of the 40th anniversary, just interviews and stories about Dave Stevens and, and other things that he had tried to pitch and things like that. And, and that's where I ended up reading again. I was like, Oh, Superman rocketeer. That would have been so good. 
because I, I just picture in my mind, um, there was a, there was a Superman novel that came out. I, I almost want to say it was around the time that, that Dave Stevens passed. And it was, um, it was called it's Superman by Tom DeHaven. And it was a, it was a very like pulp noir Superman story. Like it's very, everything is very realistic. Everything is very, um, it's set in the 1930s and it's, you know, it's, it's Clark Kent Superman as a kid who, you know, left Kansas during the great depression and came to Metropolis and it's, everything is very much in the kind of 1930s, 1940s vein. Um, and I always thought I'm like that style of Superman, like being told in that decade mixed in with the rocketeer would just, would be perfect. Like I, I, my head started swimming with, Oh, I can think of all these different ways we could tie these two characters together and, and have them team up with each other. And, and, uh, it's just that like jump started my imagination when I first read that. Well, yeah, I mean, in my mind, it's, it's not a big jump from, in the Rocketeer movie, when when you get the animation of uh, Hitler's plan, and it's done in the Fleischer studio style, yeah. and it's reminiscent of, of Superman fighting giant robots in the in the Fleischer cartoons, I mean, yeah, it's well, it it it's the Fleischer cartoons, and it's also to draw back to one of your your pulpy things you mentioned earlier, it's Sky Captain. Yeah, I mean. It's Superman in Sky Captain. And boy, <laughs> I, I know that the, the thinking is, uh, you know, people don't want to read uh, period stuff and, and all that. But I feel like whatever you do, if you do it right, uh, people will read it. You know, there there's a reason why the Elseworld, the first Elseworlds, Gotham by Gaslight by Brian Augustin and uh, and Mike Mignola is still great because it's a great story. It's not that it's steampunk or Victorian era. Right. And I feel like The Rocketeer is another one of those things that, that transcends the period. Although, um, you know, we, I, we've been talking a lot about Dave's uh, art. Can we, can we talk about the writing a little bit real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in some ways the writing also circles back to the art because comics are a visual medium. So the, the art tells the story just as much as the, uh, the words do. Um, but in addition to, um, I think you used verisimilitude earlier, uh, just the accuracy that Dave draws the period that pulls you into the story. And I feel like that's invaluable. And I feel like, People talk a lot about how pretty the drawing is, but they don't really talk about how immersive it is and how that that serves to tell the story. And the fact that his, all of his, um, like the vernacular of, of the characters when, when they're talking, the slang is just spot on. Um, and to that end, I'm... I, can can I can I can I do a dramatic reading? Oh, Not really dramatic reading. Please do. But uh, um, this is from the. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read just bits from a couple paragraphs from the uh, introduction to the first uh, graphic novel or collection, uh, and this is, is science fiction author, speculative fiction author Harlan Ellison, um, who. 
uh, was born in, I think it was like 1933, 1934. So uh, he says, uh, I, uh, I work to music, right to it, always have. So I pulled out a special cassette and dropped, and Dave is visiting Harlan at the time. So he's putting in, some, Harlan's putting in some music and dropped it into the carriage of the old uh, Bang and Olofsson. It was music I, uh, it was music specifically selected for the mood of what I was about to write. Uh, music from the period of the Rocketeer. So we jump ahead. Uh, he says, I said nothing to Dave. I just slipped the cassette into the carriage, hit play, uh, play. And as I sat down at the typewriter 11 minutes ago, the huge quad electrostatic screen here in the office began to emit the sound of whatever, recorded on uh, February 28th. Three years, uh, more than a quarter of a century before Dave Stevens would be born. That's Jesse Crawford, Dave said, as the first four bars of At Sundown on the Wurlitzer resonated through my uh, office. And, I, okay, I know I'm staggering through the reading, but, yeah, the whole thing is Harlan Ellison is picking these this obscure cut to write the introduction of The Rocketeer while Dave is in his office. And he puts in this, this mixtape, and Dave instantly recognizes it. And... I feel like that is one of the things that's that's really nobody really covers a lot in in the writing is that Dave knew the period. So when he's when he's like creating the Bulldog Cafe, um, those kinds of things were all over California at the time. These these funky little buildings that that were these these fun shapes. Yeah these kind of roadside attractions and stuff like that. And he's populating the care, the, the, the series with all these characters, you know, spitting out that, that, uh, mid Atlantic kind of slang that you hear in those movies. See, um, he, he's, everything is just so period accurate. Well, it, it's this mix between period accurate, but also this idealized, um, Hollywood version of this stuff. And it's really easy to pick that up in the art, but in the writing is where it really comes through. Um, that I, I feel like he was really underrated as as a writer because the the series is so immersive that I use that word a lot for this, but uh, it just really resonates with with how accurately he did it. Um, I wish I would have planned out what I was going to say better, but I, 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 I hope that's making, making sense. No, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to hold back on whether or not I was going to say this or not. Um, because, uh, you know, as, as you said, you, you came up at the same time as one of the more recent, uh, folks who's worked on the Rocketeer comics. And I was going to you know pose the question to you, um, at some point during our episode here about post Dave Stevens Rocketeer stories, um, you know, the, the stories that have come out since his passing. And uh, they've done a lot of recent, you know, little three or four part series through IDW for the last, you know, 10, 12 or so years. Um, and I, I love all things Rocketeer. So I, I enjoy all of these stories. But I do have to say, and, and, and this is probably going to be one of my only criticisms of, you know, the, the more, I don't want to say modern is not the right word, but the more contemporary rocketeer work that's not dave stevens work is it just 
it feels like a facsimile of Dave's work and the writing to me does not, to your point, the writing to me in these newer stories, and I don't want to, I don't want to throw any writers under the bus for anything. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're wonderful stories. They just don't seem to have the same kind of heart and soul and, and the understanding of the time period, the vernacular, the, all of that stuff that the original Rocketeer stories have, you know, that Dave Stevens work has, um, you know, I, like I said, I enjoy these stories, but there's just something about each one of them. I, I get done reading it. I'm like, I'm, I'm so happy I got to read a Rocketeer story, but I wish it was a little bit better. Well, but, well, okay, two things, uh, or maybe three. Um, one, I think that that's the nature of creator-owned comics. We get so used to that person's voice yeah. that um, – it does feel disruptive because we we keep thinking, oh, how would this have been if Dave drew it or right. if Dave wrote it? Yeah. Um, so that that that's point one. And I I, I again I, I think that that's just the nature of of creator owned stuff. Yeah. Point two, um what I've seen of the great race looks absolutely beautiful. And I loved Stephen Mooney's stuff on Half Past Danger, his uh 1940s. Uh, series at IDW. Um, so that is strictly, you know, my, my not having checked it out yet is strictly en envy and FOMO. But um, though one of the the things that I, I did read was the uh, Mark Wade, Chris Somney um, series. I can't remember what it was called, but I, I thought that had a lot of the charm of the original. But yeah, it's you know that's uh, that's a really high bar to hit. Was that the Cargo of Doom? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to say what the cargo was because I don't want to spoil it if somebody checks it out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the books they've done have all been top notch, and everybody's bringing their A game. But yeah. you know, it as fans, I think it's really easy. Yeah. To to look at this and, and just long for the this unique voice that um, you know it's it's if he were alive and supervising it maybe these things would feel differently but I I think there you know it's it is tied to the the sense of loss that this uh, amazing creator uh, was taken too soon yeah I I will say one of the more fun stories I remember reading of the post. Dave Stevens era was when they did the crossover with the spirit. Um, I think, yeah. I think that was a Mark Wade story as well. I forget who did the art on it, but yeah, the rocketeer spirit. I mean, I remember reading that and just thinking, Oh, this is so much fun. You know, it's, it's the same kind of like um, when they do, um, what did they do just recently too? Like within the last few years, Oh, uh, uh, Batman and the shadow when they did yeah. that crossover, I'm like, Oh, this is another, <laughs> another two favorite characters of mine. And, and love to get to see them together. And, and it was just, it was so much fun to, to, to read the Rocketeer and the spirit crossover. Yeah. I, I think it was drawn. Wasn't it drawn by Paul Smith? Uh, uh, now that you say that, yes, I think that sounds right. Cause yeah, I, I remember, well, he, I think he was the last X-Men artist when, when I was, when I was reading X-Men, when he left it is when I, I left the book okay. as a, as a reader. Um, and I'm blanking on the OGN he did with James Robinson. It was a Justice uh, Justice Society book. 
Um, Richard Ory colored it. It was set like around the time of the uh, McCarthy hearings. Mm. I can't remember the name of the book, but okay. yeah, it, it was weird because, you know, Paul Smith's uh, X-Men stuff was, was this really clean line stuff. And I remember seeing that. Uh, was that the series called The Golden Age? Yes. yes. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Uh, I remember seeing um, that that justice society. That's a hard word for me to say. Justice <laughs> society. I should just call it the golden age. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing that and feeling like Alex Raymond drew it, uh, Flash Gordon creator. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Smith was able to to kind of channel uh, elements of, of Eisner and elements of Stevens uh, and his own work in, in that. And yeah, that was just beautiful. I remember really liking uh, Darwin Cook did a short story uh, when IDW did those, those uh, like anthology adventures. Yes. And I think his story had Betty uh, in the helmet and the, the jacket. I think so. I th- yeah, I think that was kind of the first time. And I've seen since then, you know, every once in a while. I haven't seen it C2E2, but I've seen it some of the other comic shows. They'll do, Somebody will do the, the Betty Rocketeer. Yeah. I've tried, I mean, I tried to convince my wife to do it. She's, she's not up for that. <laughs> but, again, that, that's the thing, too, where the movie also influences um, – these these latter day comics. Mm-hmm. I remember reading an interview with with uh, Stevens, where he's talking to Steranko, and Steranko's like, "Well, you've got to have him go and fight the Nazis," and Dave was like, "This this flies in the face of my reluctant hero. I I'm I'm not going to do that." Yeah. And again, it it kind of circles back to the fact that the movie influenced a lot of our perceptions, and of course, it makes sense for the Rocketeer to fight the Nazis. We all want to see that because it was such a great moment in, in the, in the movie, you know, (laughs) like when Paul Sorvino as as the gangster with his big old Tommy gun is like, you know, uh, I may be a criminal, but I'm an American or whatever he said. He starts plugging away at the Nazis. That was great. So, you know, it's a natural thing for the Rocketeer, but yeah. And I, I think that might be one of the, the, the disconnects. Yeah. that we get from from some of these more recent ones is you know Stevens was always kind of stressing the reluctance of him and you know he kept, he kept getting pulled into into stuff you know in the in the first one he's he's on the run from Doc Savage in the movie they made it uh Howard Hughes yeah. but yeah in that first mini series it's Doc Savage and the the second mini series he's uh you know he's pulled in by the shadow you know, Mr. Jonas is, is Lamont Cranston. Yeah. And there, there's just some really great stuff. Again, that that's Dave with kind of a, a wink and a nod to everything that, that, that made up the Rocketeer and made up all the, the, the fiction that he loved. And yeah, just so good. So let me ask you this one. And, and if you, if you don't want to say, cause you've got something sitting in your back pocket that you're going to pull out someday, uh, feel free, but um, do you have? And this is probably kind of a silly question. Uh, do you have a Rocketeer story that, if you had the opportunity to pitch it to IDW and say, "Hey, I, I've got the perfect Rocketeer story for you. Here it is." Do you have a? Do you have that Rocketeer story in your back pocket? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to uh, say anything well, about it or is it, you need to keep it under wraps? Sure. I'll, t- I'll tell you about it. Cause I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, I have two, two daydreams. We're, we'll we're going to make sure that we're going we're to make sure that the top brass at IDW hear this episode uh, <laughs> and then we're going to make it happen. The, the, the first of my two daydreams is uh, Mark Schultz, who um, is an amazing uh, writer artist um, known primarily for uh, an independent series called Zenozoic. But uh, Mark really gets adventure stuff. And my, you know, my first daydream would be Mark would write a Rocketeer story and I would draw. I would I would draw it. But I also know that Mark knew Dave and he wants the Rocketeer to just be Dave, I think. So I'm, I'm never going to ask him to do that. Okay. But the second daydream, unsurprisingly, is uh, uh, the Rocketeer crossing over with my character, Athena Voltaire. Yeah. So uh, the whole the whole thing starts with uh, um, Athena is tasked with with flying something out um, to uh, the Houdini family for. Uh, you're familiar with all the stuff about the uh, the the seances on on Halloween night. Yeah. Okay. And I think the last one, uh, like Walter Gibson, the creator of The Shadow, um, was also a stage magician and knew Houdini, and I believe he was there at the seances. Um, And something weird happened at the last one. I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it's like 37 or 38. Okay. but my whole idea was um, Athena's been tasked with flying something out to uh, uh, Bess Houdini and uh, uh, um, Walter Gibson. And um, at the airfield, she runs into Cliff Secord. And, you know, typical of, of stuff of that that period, you know, whatever case she's carrying looks like Cliff's and they accidentally grab the wrong ones. And we find that Athena's being tailed by the, the Nazis. And so the, the Nazis split up and they also start following Cliff. And um, Betty is with Cliff when he runs into Athena and they knew each other from the uh, like air racing days and yeah. stuff like that. And Cliff can't help, I mean, uh, Betty can't help but notice that Cliff seems a little too comfortable with this this aviatrix so um betty um you know essentially gets again i'm, I'm trying to play with some of the tropes of, of period stuff yeah. so you know just kind of let some of the ideas roll by but betty kind of dresses up like athena but the nazis see her and think it's athena and kidnap her yeah. and so uh, during the kidnapping, Cliff is injured, breaks his leg, and contacts Athena for help. Uh, the whole culmination would take place at the Knickerbocker Hotel, where the seance is going on. But you know, along the way, we we would get these you know more of these mistaken identity things, like uh, you know Betty being mistaken for Athena, and then 
Cliff can't wear the rocket, so he's got to fly the auto gyro that we saw in uh, Rocketeer Adventure magazine. Mm-hmm. And Athena has to put on the helmet and uh, the jet pack and just kind of doing all those kind of dual type of things. And yeah, it would have been uh, somewhere between an adventure and a screwball comedy. Uh, it's never going to happen, but that's that's like my dream gig. I don't know if it, if if it's enough to be a one shot. I mean, a, a mini series, but it would be a one shot. Um, I'm writing I'm writing a note to self to start a <laughs> to start a letter writing campaign to IDW right now because I want to see this. No, oh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, well, right now uh, Athena's on hold. Uh, I'm part of a a class action lawsuit. Uh, 40 different creative teams, I think, are suing uh, Action Lab, the publisher, yeah. um, over breach of contract. So yeah. I remember you were going through a whole lot of stuff yeah. you, you, with your newsletter and, and some of the other times <laughs> I talked to you. I, you're going through a whole lot of stuff with that. So, so yeah, it's yeah. it's temporarily on hold, but uh, we'll either you know find out something from the lawsuit or the contract ends in 2026 so okay. one way or another I, i'm gonna get back to my character yeah uh and i'm still working on stuff anyway yeah. but yeah that's yeah that that's the story and i didn't convey it well but i have notes i have many pages no. of notes <laughs> <laughs> no i love it in fact before as soon as you started talking i'm like oh i i bet betty's gonna get jealous I bet there's good, like in my mind, I'm already starting to picture. I'm like, yep, I can see this. I'll, I could, I, at some point, if Athena doesn't put that helmet and that rocket pack on, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there, there are certain beats that you yeah. just kind of expect with this kind of, kind of crossover. And the, the Betty, be, Betty being jealous part is just such a nice role, role reversal that we got from the first and second uh, mini series that Dave did, right. where Dave is always. Uh, jealous of Betty. Dave is always chasing Betty. And so to suddenly put Betty in this this position of vulnerability um, not only flips the the script, but it also humanizes her because we don't want her to just be this uh, unattainable uh, goal that, that Dave has. Right. She then becomes a, a partner and a, a member of a relationship. So, yeah, I just... I probably think about, I, I've probably given that way too much thought that and, uh, uh, sometime, um, if you, if you ever want to do a, a 40th anniversary of the movie, big trouble in little China, uh, I'll tell you about my comic mini series pitch for big trouble, the Conven- continuing adventures of Jack Burton. That's like number two on my list. Rocketeers number one yeah. and bucket list. Number two is big trouble. Nice. Sad, but true. <laughs> Oh, I, I have had, I've had so much fun talking Dave Stevens with you with uh, talking rocketeer stuff. Um, I just, I, I mean, I feel like we could just go on <laughs> for the rest of the night. I'm, I'm just like, there's, there's so many things like swirling around in my head and, and, you know, just like I said earlier to have the opportunity to talk with somebody else who's, you know, knowledgeable about and was influenced by Dave Stevens and this work. And, um, you know, we, we haven't, I guess we haven't touched, we've touched a little bit on the movie itself. Um, and I guess one thing I was, I was going to ask you before we, uh, before we end our time here is, um, you know, going from, because you, you were, you were hooked before the movie even came out. Um, so going from the page to the screen, when you saw the Rocketeer movie for the first time, 
Was it one of those times, and I, I think you mentioned this earlier about, about uh, something else, was it one of those times where you went to go see the movie and and you were like, okay, I just I hope they get this right. I really want this to be just the, the perfect thing that I've envisioned in my head. Um, when you saw the Rocketeer movie, did that happen for you? Was there anything about the movie that, uh, I, I guess, did the movie hit you in a way that you're like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I was hoping for. And was there anything that you were like, ah, I, I wish that would have been done just a little bit differently. No, I, I felt like all the changes were, were perfect. Um, you know, obviously um, having to change Betty to Jenny made perfect sense. Um, and again, I just think about that open, that, that hangar scene where the doors are opening up and we, we hear the first notes of that beautiful James Horner score, which you could not ask for a better score for that movie. I mean, because he he's riffing on um, Aaron Copeland, yeah. American composer Aaron Copeland, especially some some stuff from uh, like like Hoedown, I think is like kind of reminiscent in uh, in the Rocketeer score. And it just feels so right for, for the, the time period, you know, that whole 30s type of vibe you're riffing on, you know, the greatest American composer up to that point. Maybe it's debatable afterwards. I don't think it is. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it everything about that was just, it was so right. And when they had to make changes, the changes all made perfect sense. Um, you know, of course we can't put Doc Savage in this movie, but Howard Hughes is a brilliant stand-in. And Terry O'Quinn is amazing. And my gosh, is there anybody anybody better for Cliff than than Billy Campbell? Oh, no. Which by the by the way, if if there's ever an Athena Voltaire movie, Billy Campbell would play her dad in a perfect world because yeah. that's who I draw. I draw Dave Stevens and I draw Billy Campbell yeah. as her dad. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of a, a mix of those two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just this, there's something about that movie that just hits all the right beats. You know, again, when you have scenes that aren't from the comic, but feel like they should be you know, like everything in the South seas club, I mean, just the way it all looked, um, you know, uh, uh, Timothy Dalton just yeah. was a great bad guy. And, and just like his whole heel turn yeah. where, you know, Neville Sinclair is, is talking, you know, perfectly properly. And, and then the instant he's, he's revealed to be a Nazi, he suddenly has the accent and just, there were so many things in there that had the same kind of rever reverence, I think to the source material and the material of the period that, that is apparent in Dave's work. So, um, yeah, everything about that movie just hits, yeah. you know, Adam Arkin doesn't look like Doug Wildey, but the relationship between Cliff and Doug, I mean, Cliff and, and Peavy yeah. is just perfect. You know, it's, it's the mentor and, and the, uh, you know, even giving some, some nuance to, uh, to PV when when uh, Cliff says you know you haven't had a date in however long, and <laughs> PV just wistfully kind of thinks about 
the last gal he dated. And after that, there's no one else or no one can compare or whatever he says. Yeah. It's just, it it's these beautiful little character details uh, that, that they fleshed out of, of, of what Dave had in the, in the book, but so good. It was, uh, it was Flora Maxwell. There wasn't any point, <laughs> any point dating nobody after her. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Go get him, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just, it's, it's a perfect comic book movie. Yeah. Uh, all the changes make sense. It looks and it feels like it lives in that world. And, uh, it just feels right. Well, and, and you bring up the James Horner soundtrack for that too. And, and I, on, on our show in the hundreds of episodes we've had, we've talked about, you know, different composers that we love. And, and if you would have asked me years ago, I probably would have said for, for movie soundtracks, um, you know, overall, I probably would have told you John Williams is one of my favorite just because of so many iconic scores. But, Lately, within the last several years or so, I've I've actually I've actually turned a bit, and I've said several times, I'm like, no, I actually think James Horner is probably my favorite movie composer. Um, you know, there's there's a little bit of a connection there because there were a lot of a lot of movies. My dad and I used to watch movies together a lot. A lot of the movies that we would watch together, some of his favorites were scored by James Horner. James Horner actually died the same week my dad died. Um, and so there's, there's a little bit of a connection there too. So that was kind of like, I was already hit by one thing. And then like the, the next week or so, boom, like one of our favorite movie composers, you know, passed away as well. So that's always kind of imprinted in my mind. Um, I have the, I, I, for Christmas one year, uh, I had tracked down the, uh, expanded Rocketeer soundtrack that, that had every possible (laughs) track that you could get on it. Uh, I think it was a two disc deal. Um, and, and managed to get somebody to get that for me as a Christmas gift and love that soundtrack. I mean, I will put that on if, if I'm at work and I just need to put earbuds in and, and, you know, tune everybody else out and, and get my stuff done. Typically I will put on the Rocketeer soundtrack and, and go from there. Um, some of the things I think about his Rocketeer soundtrack, and, and even as much as I love James Horner, I've also been one of the first to comment on on our regular movie episodes about how you know he is guilty of reusing a lot of his soundtracks in, in a lot of his movies. You know, you'll listen to uh, what was it? I think one of them was Project X, and and the the scene where the the uh, apes are are getting out of their cages is lifted straight from aliens uh, from 1986. (laughs) So, um, you know, there are times when he definitely lifts things from other places, but the Rocketeer soundtrack sounds totally unique. It's not like any of his other soundtracks. Um, Although I did, I'm trying to remember what collection it was. Um, I believe there is a collection of James Horner work that was released posthumously. And it was his, I don't think the title was unfinished, compositions but it was like it was like a list of of compositions that that weren't quite finished um and i don't remember exactly what the title was i'm blanking out on that part but i'm listening to this and there is a moment in one of the songs where it it just very almost like at the drop of a hat it actually shifts and you get that really soft piano of jenny's theme like the love theme 
Yeah. And I was all of a sudden I like bolted upright <laughs> and I'm like, that's from the Rocketeer. What song is this? I need to find the title <laughs> of it. Um, and so, I mean, it was something he wrote much later, but he did, you know, pull that out of the Rocketeer soundtrack. Um, and, and, and I say all that to say too, if, if anybody is listening to this and you want to, if you're sitting there and you're reading Rocketeer comics and you want to put music on that reminds you of the Rocketeer while you're reading Rocketeer comics or, or anything similar to that, um, might not even be a bad one for for the Athena Voltaire, um, since we've we've got the the aviation piece to all these stories. Is James Horner also did a? I think he did the score for a documentary on flight, and there are so many of those pieces that in the back of my mind I'm like, yeah, I could I could see that as a little bit of like a spiritual successor to the Rocketeer soundtrack. Is you've got, you know, I know James Horner was himself. Uh, I believe he was a pilot himself. Um, and so you, I think so. you get from his music, that sense of, you know, he knows what it's like to be a pilot. He knows what it's like to be up in the air. Um, and it's just, you know, a lot of that reminded me of some of the bits and pieces of the Rocketeer soundtrack too. Well, well, to your point, um, and this isn't really him reusing it, but I vividly remember for a solid decade after the Rocketeer came out, that opening theme was used that you know the piano part from the, the the very beginning was used in at least a dozen movie trailers oh yeah and i i, I think it's because the rocketeer didn't do you know didn't do gangbusters at the box office right. but everybody recognized just how brilliant the the score was and how well it would work for so many so many trailers um so yeah i i Again, it's just top to bottom. The movie, the score, everything about it is perfect. I feel like I feel like there was a movie that we covered recently that used the Rocketeer theme in the trailer. Um, I want to say it might have been. Oh shoot! Uh, I I want to say it might have been the movie Sneakers hmm. with Robert Redford. I'm, I'm trying to remember, like there is a, in the back of my mind, there was a movie that we talked about recently. And as soon as the trailer came on, I'm like, wait, what? That's <laughs> it was, it was either that, or they might've done one for, um, oh shoot. What was the other, um, uh, was it always always yeah, or yeah, yeah it might've been always. I feel like there was a, a, a bit of the rocketeer theme that might've been used in the trailer for that one, but we're always kind of, you know, we're always kind of commenting on trailer music too, that like, you know, certain trailers you hear a theme and you're like, Oh yeah, they, they lifted that straight from that other movie or wow, that music totally changes what that movie is about. If you actually go see that movie, that is not what, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not what you're going to go see. Like they make this sound happy and upbeat. And this is a story about serial killers. This is weird. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, I've, I've heard several times now the, the Rocketeer theme or at least portions of it get reused in other movie trailers. And it's, it's just fun to, to have that pop up and, and sit there and go, yep, I know what that is. <laughs> well, Steve, I, thank you so much. Is there anything else before we, before we go, I, I know there's, there's so much more we could be talking about with, with the Rocketeer and, and Dave Stevens. And, um, is there anything in particular that, that we haven't covered that, you know, you, you, the world needs to know about uh, with, with any of this that we've talked about that we haven't talked about yet. Um, 
I think I've covered most of the the Stevens stuff. Just yeah, if if this drops before the the Blu-ray Kickstarter is done, I highly recommend uh, everybody either getting the Blu-ray or um, watching the the uh, documentary on demand. I, I believe it's called Dave Stevens Drawn to Perfection, drawn which to is perfection. kind of a riff on his the the art book they did, which was Brush with Passion. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's I I just feel like he was such a a, a unique and amazing talent. Um, I'm really looking forward to watching the the documentary. Although I I've already warned my my art nerd friends that I'm going to watch it with that uh, I will probably embarrass myself because I'm at the age now where I tear up during Hallmark <laughs> card commercials. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it during the, uh, the documentary. I'm sure. Yeah. That is, that is nothing to be ashamed of. That's I'm, I'm kind of that way too. It happens. It just happens. Yeah. I swear. I don't know if it's having kids or what, but yeah. it happens. Um, so I was looking up real quick at the Kickstarter. It says there are 10 days left to go. Um, so what is that? That's probably actually, I think it's Friday, December 2nd is when this ends. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to see about getting this put out, uh, before we get to December 2nd, or at the very least I'll put stuff out on social media. Uh, and I put the screws to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, we're gonna we're gonna get this out because we need more people to know about this so they can go get that Blu-ray or or uh, you know get some of the other stuff that's coming out with it because uh, yeah, as soon a few days ago when I saw that I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me! All right, well, one more thing, I I got a birthday and I got Christmas coming up, so I, I know exactly what I'm buying myself. My dad was always good about buying himself something, so uh, I'm gonna follow the tradition and I I know what I'm getting for myself. So, oh, that sounds great. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I was so looking forward to being able to sit down and, and talk with you. Um, you know, just I, we, we get to chat for a few minutes every year at C2E2 and uh, just a chance to get down and uh, sit down and, and talk with you some more. And um, I just I've been looking forward to this so much. Um, is there anything anything else of your own work that you want to to share with the world? Anything that uh, we should be going to check out right now? I, I loved, I, I was going to tell you again, I told you at C2E2, um, I, I got your last Athena Voltaire Kickstarter and uh, loved that book. Uh, I mean, I think I, I devoured it in record time uh, and, and then reread oh. it again. Uh, just enjoyed it so much. Um, so if, if anybody's listening and, and they want to go check out your work, I highly recommend uh, you know, checking out the Athena Voltaire stuff. Cause I, I think I've bought everything Athena, Athena Voltaire at this point. And, and it certainly is, um, you know, it, it is, you're not Dave Stevens, but you're giving me my Dave Stevens fix is what I'm trying to say. Well, Dave Stevens, Mark Schultz and, uh, Al Williamson are, are kind of my, my three yeah. that I, I vacillate between, but yeah, thank you. That's, that's really kind. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, if I haven't scared anyone away with uh, with my over enthusiasm, um, my site is stevebryantcomics.com. And uh, I'm in the process of putting together a web store so you can buy uh, the Athena stuff directly from me. I'm going to try to have like signed and remarked, uh, sketched in versions of, of the books. 
So that'll be either sometime in December or early January. So uh, that's really my big plug for this. Uh, I'll have some some Kickstarters coming next year. I really enjoyed, um, you mentioned the most recent Athena book. I really enjoyed, uh, by doing the, kick, the Kickstarter, I kind of co-published with Action Lab. So I, I was able to, to go for a better uh, quality of paper and a heavier weight of cover. And I really enjoyed being able to kind of upgrade the book. So I'm looking forward to doing more Kickstarters and doing more self-publishing. Because I feel like, you know, again, I I know where I am in the hierarchy of comic creators. So uh, I think self-publishing gives me a chance to at least do the kind of work that uh, when I have control over how it looks, I can at least make objects that I really like. So, uh, you know, follow me on social media, sign up for my newsletter, all that stuff's on my on my website, and uh, you'll be barraged with uh, news when the next uh, Kickstarter comes. I also saw because I, I get your uh, get your newsletter as well. I saw that uh, we're both watch, watching Alaska Daily right now. Boy, isn't that great? Yeah, I love that show. I and and that was before I went into education. My first, uh, my first major in college was journalism, and I was totally and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw it all the way back to a Clark Kent thing. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I, I joined the high school newspaper because it was the same year that I had to get glasses for the first time, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, ah, you know what? I I love Superman. I had to get glasses at the end of my junior year of high school, and it was senior year of high school. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm going to go all in on this whole Clark Kent thing. I'm going to work for the newspaper. I'm going to wear these glasses all the time. <laughs> I'm probably going to wear a Superman shirt underneath whatever shirt I'm wearing, uh, you know, just to be a complete nerd. And uh, <laughs> we're going to go that route. So when I started, um, I went to University of Illinois. When I started at Illinois, it was for journalism. Um, and so my first year and a half to two years was in the journalism program until I ended up switching over to education. And, um, you know, it, and there was just, there was, there was something about, there was something about the, the opportunity to kind of relive my favorite character and, and, and be that, (laughs) that kind of like, um, that, that hero journalist, you know, all the thing, you know, when Superman's not saving the world, he's still saving the world, but he's doing it through his journalism. Right. right. Um, and, and so that was always like one of the, one of my favorite little like secret things is like, that's why I'm going into journalism. Um, but then I, I, one of the things that that I've really loved about, um, you know, your stories and what you've been able to do, especially with the Kickstarter stuff, is, um, you know, just some of the characters that we wouldn't normally get to see or some of the opportunities that I think the self-publishing affords um, is just so much fun. It's I, And I feel like I, I hope it gives you more freedom. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying just the. Uh... Well, um, being able to talk directly with with the audience has been great, and I feel like it's it's uh, kind of it harkens back to uh, the early days of web comics, which is is where I started on the uh, Athena stuff, and um, yeah, there there's something about that especially since comic distributors are kind of all up in the air right now. Yeah. There, there's something really cool about just 
knowing that I can deliver this, I can send this off to, um, you know, my, my audience and, uh, we, we kind of maintain this conversation and it, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, I hear a lot of comic creators talking about their brand and I've never been good at that. Um, I just, I hope that uh, whatever story I want to tell is going to be interesting to the people that already buy my other, you know, my other work. So, you know, I, I've got Athena Voltaire, I've got The Catch, I've got Ghoul Scouts, and it's really just kind of a reflection on whatever I'm I'm enjoying uh, in in other media. And so it's it's been kind of fun to to take people along and just say, oh well, thank you for trusting me. Here's you know, uh, you know, a horror story or you know a kid story or or whatever. And so far, you know, nobody said, well, I really like this, but this just sucks. <laughs> so no. go team. Um, and and I realize I, I got off on my on my journalism tangent, and then I went to something completely different. It was going back to the Alaska Daily thing. Like yes. that, watching that show has brought me back to like, you know, I'm, I'm working in education now and, and I'm, and I'm not going to say I love my job every single day. Um, but it has me at different moments in time when I'm watching that show, I'm like, you know, I bet I could still write a good story if I sat down and really thought about <laughs> it. And I mean, do I really want to, if, if I'm not content in education right now, it's been a lot of years. Could I switch back into reporter mode? Could I could I get back into that again? And I, I make the mistake sometimes of watching shows like that, and I go, you know, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go live in Alaska, <laughs> and I'm going to write for a newspaper. And I'm going to do and, – and, and every once in a while, my wife will kind of look at me, and she's like, you know, if you're going to do that, please like, give me a heads up real quick before you make any, like, major decisions like that or – but no, well, we, we've been enjoying that show. And I, and I think that's part of the reason it's, it's, it's given me like my, my Clark Kent vibe <laughs> when I watch that show. Well, okay. I don't, I don't want to go too political on this, but, yeah. and, and I, I mentioned this in, in my newsletter, uh, when I, when I talked about really enjoying the show, um, it's the kind of show in its earnestness and, uh, the way that it, it talks about the integrity of journalism and journalists that I think 10 years ago, we would have looked at it like, and thought it was a little too earnest yeah. or a little too self-important, but, and again, not to go too far onto a political tangent, but after, you know, four to six years of, of hearing, uh, a lot of members of government refer to the press as the an, an enemy of the state, um, that show you know everything it's saying about journalistic integrity and and freedom of the press, um, and the importance of uh, journalism um, really resonates. It it lands very differently now than oh, it would yeah. have a, a decade ago because now I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not quite tearing up but there, there there's that moment of of just going yeah this is important and Any, yeah, it, anytime anybody on that show uses the phrase the importance of local journalism like yay raw team <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. you know because well I'm, I'm about two hours south of you i think yeah. and yeah down here you know places like uh 
media conglomerates like Sinclair Media are gobbling up all the 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 television stations. And yeah, that's dangerous. It, it's dangerous anytime there's a large, regardless of of your your political POV. Yeah. Anytime there, there's a large group of places reporting the same news the same way, I feel like we're not getting the uh, uh, the truth. And I, I feel like I, I saw someone on, on social media today, uh, a journalist that that said objectivity is different than being neutral. Being neutral talks about presenting two different sides of an issue and, and objectivity talks about just presenting facts. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like we can all get our news filtered through stuff, but local stuff generally tends to be a lot more about objectivity. Yeah. And, and, so. you, and you want to, you want to kind of harken back to the day when you feel like, you know, if you, if you knew your reporter, you knew you could trust them. You know, if they, yeah. if they were somebody local and you're like, well, I know, I know that person, I know that they're going to tell me the truth. Even if I don't agree with everything that they say, I know the, the intent behind their reporting. I know what they're doing. I, I trust that they have my best interest. Again, even if we don't agree with each other, I trust that they have the best interest of the public at heart. And and the more you kind of get away from that local stuff and, and that ability to trust your, you know, trust your sources, trust your reporters, um, you know, that's that's where I feel like, like you said, it's, it starts to get a little dangerous. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky. I grew up next door to Walter Con- uh, Cronkite. Boy, that joke would have landed much better if I didn't mispronounce his, his, uh, his name. But... Uh, Great, I'm amusing myself. I think that's probably a good sign to wind <laughs> this down. Uh, I'm amused, but no, I I feel like it's it's just a really wonderful show, yeah. and I'm I'm hoping they can maintain uh, their their quality. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. Well. Again, Steve, thank you so much. Um, and, and I'm going to find other excuses to get you back on here as well. Oh, please, uh, just, please. just so we can talk some more. Uh, if, if there's any, like, let me ask you this, uh, to, to tie it back to our, our usual, uh, our regularly scheduled movie program. Um, other than The Rocketeer, because right now we're, we're in the 90s, um, other than The Rocketeer, what's your favorite movie from the 90s? Um, we've already missed the window for it. Uh, T2. Um, oh, yes. Huge James Cameron fan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know that True Lies has gotten a little creaky in, in how it's yeah. aged, uh, but that would be what, 94? 94, 95? Yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. Um, I'm trying to think of other, other 90s stuff that I really enjoyed. Um, well, LA Confidential, but you know mm. we're we're six years out on that. We got a, seven. We got a few more years to that. Uh, one, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I know there there's plenty. Yeah. Um, it's weird because I feel like the late '80s, early '90s is this re- well mid mid '80s through early '90s is this really sweet spot for uh, like James Cameron and yeah. John Carpenter. Actually, all of the '80s back to 79 for Carpenter, I think, Um, you know, all that stuff is just really good, but I think I missed my window for it. So you'll, uh, we'll, we'll just have to like, we'll find some touch base as we go. (laughs) We'll we'll find some others. There's plenty of other good stuff out there. Um, Oh yeah. That, that was the thing before, before doing this podcast and especially, I mean, we started it seven years ago now. Um, and so we were in, mid, we started in the mid eighties when we first started doing this. And I remember 
growing, I remember when I was growing up, my dad would make the comment sometimes, like especially in like the mid '90s or so, uh, he would always make these comments. He'd be like, "Ah, there's no good movies now." Um, and you know, I remember going in, in high school, going in middle school, high school, going to see movies in the mid nineties, late nineties. And, you know, thinking, I don't know, some of these are okay. Some of these are fine. Um, but I kept, you know, even as a kid, I always kept looking back to the eighties and be like, that is like the greatest decade of movies ever is the eighties. And then as, as I grew up, I was like, well, you know, there's some really good stuff in the sixties and seventies and, um, there's, there's good stuff in every decade. And as we've been doing this podcast and then I, it kind of forces me Every year, because just recently, within the last several weeks, I've put together our slate of movies for next year. And when I go through there, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many good movies 93 had. And then I start to make the list. And I'm like, wait, so there's only 52 weeks in the year. We come out weekly. I don't have enough weeks for all the movies I want to talk about. And, and, And it's every single year. Every single year, I'm like, yeah, there probably weren't all that many great movies in 93. Ah, crap. (laughs) <laughs> there's, oh, yeah. there's so I'm, many good movies i'm sure that like the instant we we hang up on 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 zoom here i'm gonna go oh my gosh blah 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 was released in yeah. 93 94 or whatever um so yeah they, that that's the beauty of it there there there's so much uh incredible i hate the word content but that yeah. that's like become the 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 buzzword around all this but there, there's so much incredible work to to discover and revisit it it's a golden age yeah all right well i'm gonna find an excuse to get you back on here so we can talk about some more Please. stuff but um but yeah again thank you so so much i was so looking forward to being able to talk uh dave stevens rocketeer stuff with you i have been ever since we talked about this uh you know a couple months ago um yeah. I, I was i was so excited i was like okay i cannot let this opportunity go like it's almost <laughs> the year is almost over i gotta get this in you know during 2022 so it's still the 40th anniversary um so thank you so much for for hanging out with me here uh tonight and just i i have enjoyed this so much well thank you th- th- I'll be thank you for your patience because i know that like you had certain things you wanted to cover and i just kind of came out like the tasmanian devil going Whoa! That is so, half half the time our show is is a collection of Tasmanian devils all just talking about what we love about each of these movies. So uh, as as much as I, the other guys will attest on this show too, as much as I have an outline, I am also the worst when it comes to sticking to that outline because it'll invariably we'll talk about something and it'll be 30, 40 minutes later and I'll just look back at my outline and go, nah, forget it. <laughs> we're, we're good. This is This is even better than plan A, so we're good. Okay, awesome. Well, you have a great holiday season, and I hope I'll, I'll see you at C2E2, um, what is it, end of March, yeah, beginning of we're, April? We're, we're back to the spring now, so. I think so, yeah. yeah. So people, people, instead of complaining how cold it is in August in Chicago, they can complain how cold it is in uh, March in Chicago. But yeah, I mean, we'll complain <laughs> about anything. It's yeah. just you know, comic people's nature. Yeah. Just myself right. included. You know, f- folks, when you go to the cons, just, you know, when you dress up as Harley Quinn, just bring a coat. You know, if you're coming to the Chicago con, you can wear your skimpy Harley Quinn costume, but bring a heavy coat. You know, you're going to need to. Well, so Har- Harley could be very sensible. Yeah. So I, I, I think that works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Uh, everybody. Um, I, it's been so much fun to talk Rocketeer, Dave Stevens stuff to, to kind of honor the 40th anniversary of this. Um, 
I am going to put a bunch of stuff in the show notes for this episode. We're going to tweet out a bunch of stuff. Um, depending on whether this episode comes out before or after that uh, Kickstarter, the Drawn to Perfection, um, I'm going to share out a bunch of stuff there. Go get that Blu-ray. Um, just make sure I get my copy first, and then you can go get a Blu-ray <laughs> uh, of that documentary and, and check that out. Uh, but definitely tech, uh, check out uh, Steve's stuff as well. And uh, as always, as we tell you here every week, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Go read some great comics. And we'll see you back here next time.